Your love is amazing. Hey, happy Easter. I'm glad you're here today. Are you glad you're here today? Hey, we have, uh, we have a few things I want to look at today. I've got some great stuff for you, some great quotes, and I hope you can keep up and follow along with me. Let's open our Bibles, though, to Acts chapter 13, a scripture I want to read uh, for you today. Acts chapter 13. Two days ago on Friday night, we celebrated Good Friday, and uh, we, had a, we had a wonderful time. You know, we, we met inside, which was really pretty nice. And, uh, you know, I enjoy meeting outside, but it was kind of nice inside too. So, you know, but, but uh, we talked about this, this fact that, that when Jesus was on the cross, he said those words, it is finished. And it's one word and it changes everything. It's the word tetelestai. And it means paid in full, and that's why we have uh, this idea. So, so what, what did he pay for? What was the payment that he made? He paid for our sin, that our sins are completely covered. They're completely paid for, and, and our debt, the debt that you and I owe, every one of us owes this debt, was nailed to the cross. Our debt was nailed to the cross for all those who would receive it. It's not automatic, though. It's something that we receive. And so, you know, it changes everything, this, this one word that he spoke uh, there on the cross. And, 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 but the question that we need to ask is, has it changed me? Have I received that message? And, and has it changed my life? And that's kind of where we, we're going to pick it up today because... Because that's, that's just the first half of the story. And what we want to talk about today is the second half of the story. And, and both of these parts of the story, the first half and the second half, they, they, they go together. They're, they're linked together. You can't have one without the other and make any sense at all. They, they're, they, they're essentially linked together. The, the cross and the resurrection I'm speaking about, they're both essential. If you... Look at the uh, piece of paper that, I, that you got uh, handed to you, the blue sheet. I want to look at, at that first quote where it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I love this. It's kind of long, but I love it, the way they wrote this. What do you think was the most significant event in human history without question? The greatest event was the faint sound of a heartbeat in a cold, lifeless body in a tomb 2,000 years ago. The sound of blood rushing through the heart of a prophet from Galilee is a sound which will undoubtedly thunder throughout eternity owing to its profound implications. Its significance lies in the fact that it constituted God's vindication that the payment for man's sin had been accepted that when Jesus said, it is finished, that God accepted that. He says the spinoff is stupendous. If Jesus is now no more than a handful of dust and bones slowly crumbling away somewhere on the outskirts of Jerusalem, the entire Christian faith lies buried with him. And all its martyrs were mistaken. All its reformers deluded. All its church buildings are monuments to a myth. All its services are senseless. And Easter Day is wishful thinking. 
The credibility then of Christianity thus hangs on this one straightforward question. Did Jesus Christ come back to life a few days after he, was, after he died and was buried? His character, his claims, and his relevance for today all hinge on this critical issue. Let's look at Acts chapter 13, verse 27. It says, The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, he had done nothing wrong, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree, the cross, and they laid him in a tomb. But, verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Paul, the apostle, speaking here, in this place called Pisidian Antioch, and he's speaking in the synagogue to, to the Jewish people that were there and maybe others that were there that were seekers after God. And he says, listen, there was this event that took place, we call it the cross, where, where Jesus Christ was crucified, not for anything that he did, because he didn't do anything. It says right there very clearly. But they wanted him executed. They wanted him executed. Why? Because... Number one, they were jealous of him, the religious leaders. And number two, maybe even more importantly, because he proclaimed himself to be God. And they thought that was blasphemy. So we're going to get rid of this blasphemous man named Jesus and, and get this thing done, take care of it, over. But what does verse 30 say? Verse 30 say it says, but God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. He wasn't, he, he, he's not in that tomb anymore. And as we just read there, all this, the credibility of what we believe, what we teach, why we're here, hinges really on that. It's absolutely essential. It's the necessity of, of this fact, this, this thing we call the resurrection. Without it, we might as well go home. We might as well just hang it up and, and go home and eat your ham. You can't eat ham in Israel. They wouldn't do that. You might as well go home and have your salmon, whatever it is that you're going to have today. Tacos. I don't know. But you might as well just go do that because there's no point. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no point in all the things that we're doing. What, what would it be that he actually finished? The only thing he finished is his own life. If he stayed in that tomb, the only thing that he accomplished was dying and being in that tomb. It's pretty important, you see, what I'm trying to get across you to, to you today, that, that the, these two things, the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, they, they go together and, and they're, you know, they, they're absolutely essentially uh, linked to each other. I want you to turn with me now ahead uh, uh, two books to the book of 1 Corinthians, and you'll see why I am making such a point about this. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 is called, anybody know what that chapter is called? The resurrection chapter, obviously, right. And, and the whole chapter is really about the resurrection. We're just going to look at a few verses there, though. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14. Paul the Apostle, again, writing here now to the church. This is later, the church in the city called Corinth. And look in verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, if there's no resurrection, in other words, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. There's no point. Verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. So we're just making this story up. It's just a lie if He didn't really rise from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ or as Christians, they are lost. It didn't do them any good. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. The, 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 the resurrection is what gives us hope. If there's no resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, conquering death, then you and I have no hope after death for ourselves. We're, we're to be pitied. We're, we're to be pitied. We're just fools. We're just, you know, we have nothing. We're, you know, the, the, the things we talk about, he says, you know, it's futile. It's useless. Our faith is, is not worth anything. It, unless Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, then, then that changes everything. This is absolutely essential. You say, well, that sounds like we're having a, a class today or something. But you know what? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know that these are the, the, the bedrock things that we build our life and faith upon, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, put in the tomb, and three days later, what? He rose from the dead. You, you can't just stop with him being in the tomb as some have done. The cross without the resurrection, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. There's no purpose in it. Look at your sheet again now on the other side. I, I like this. I got a, an ad from America's Christian Credit Union. They said, Easter is a time of reflection and a time to recognize the miracles that God has brought into our lives. Our prayer is that you have the opportunity to experience His greatest miracle of all, which is new life. Through the resurrection of Jesus. See, there's a miraculous nature in this. This is a miraculous thing. Not People don't just rise from the dead. So there's something supernatural about this. There's something miraculous about this. If God can't raise His Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, then, then what can He do? It, you know... But, but we, we believe that God is a creator, that if he could create everything, why could he not do this? This next quote, uh, some of you may be surprised about this. Uh, I, I remember hearing about this some time ago where, where Thomas Jefferson, uh, obviously a very uh, great man, 
one of our you know, founding fathers, a, a president. Uh, it says here, nevertheless, he could not accept the miraculous elements in the scripture. And so what he did, he edited his own special version. And, and literally, he, you know, we cut and paste with our computers now, but literally he took a couple of King James Bibles and literally cut them with scissors and glued them you know, glued them up into a version that he thought was acceptable. So he took out all the miraculous elements, all the stuff that, that he didn't think could happen. He deleted those. And he confined himself solely to the moral teachings of Jesus. Well, you know, I understand why he did that, and I, and I believe that Jesus was an incredibly moral teacher. The teaching, the moral teachings of Jesus, nobody has, has been able to, you know, equal. But the closing words of this compilation that he put together, he didn't call it his own Bible, he called it something else. But others have called it his Bible. These were the closing words. There laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher of the tomb and departed. That's it? That's the way it all ends? This great moral teacher, it's, it's all done? You know, uh, why would we get together at all? There's no point in it. Billy Graham, the last quote on this sheet for you, the Billy Graham says that the resurrection of, of Christ changed the midnight of bereavement into a sunrise of reunion. It, it, it changed the... Uh, the midnight of disappointment into a sunrise of joy. It changed the midnight of fear to a sunrise of peace. And without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. This change that took place that, that he accomplished in the resurrection, he, 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 took, he took the things that were, the, the sadness that they had, the disappointment that they had, the fear that they had, that they experienced when, when Jesus... Their teacher, the disciples, you know, their teacher was gone. He was dead. And you know what it's like when somebody dies, the, the sadness that comes over us. But he didn't stay in that tomb and, he, tomb and he turned everything around completely. And it's absolutely essential that he did. Absolutely essential that he did. All of Christianity rises or falls on, the account, on account of the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb. Without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. There is no Christian message. And by his resurrection, I love this, Jesus broke the power of sin and hell and Satan. The cross and the resurrection are inseparable from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Without the resurrection, what hope would we have? How could our sins possibly be paid for? They could not. They would not. For you and for me, the resurrection is absolutely crucial to our faith. How many of you have seen the movie The Case for Christ? <clears throat> A lot of you have seen it. We just saw it. We watched it recently. 
and there was a man, his name is Lee Strobel, and, and he was an investigative reporter and, uh, for a, a big newspaper. And, and, you know, his wife became a believer. And he didn't like that. So he, he basically said, I'm going to set out to prove that what you believe in is just a bunch of nonsense. So, in, you know, being an investigative reporter, that's what he did. He set out to find out, you know, what happened and to disprove everything that she was saying and, and that she believed that Jesus, who he was, that he lived, that he died, that he was resurrected from the dead. And, and so he went and he, and he just, it, it, the more he got into it, the more he really kind of got blown away by the, the amount of evidence, the amount of proof. And, and it's like this for every part of Jesus' life. But when he finally got to this thing of the resurrection, that, that kind of just like pushed him all completely over the edge that, that Jesus Christ and the, and the proof and the evidence for the resurrection, you know, were, were so strong. He, said, he says this, and I quote, Although I tried, I couldn't think of any more thoroughly attested event in ancient history. There was no event that, that you know, has nearly the evidence, the proof about Jesus Christ and him dying and rising from the dead. Turn back with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 again. A little bit later uh, in Paul's words, his message to the people there, he spoke he, another long section, which we won't read today, but he spoke again in, in more detail about Jesus Christ being resurrected from the dead. He couldn't get away from that. He could not leave that fact behind. He kept talking about it again and again. And then in verse 38, though, look what it says. Acts 13, verse 38. Therefore... Therefore, because of all that he'd said, because especially this fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. So because of what Jesus did, his death his burial, and his resurrection, I want you to know that your sins can be forgiven. Now, let's just say for discussion here for a second, if he had died on the cross and said those words, it's finished, but, but he's still in a grave somewhere, what good is that going to do to, for you or me? Whose sins would he have died for? Who would he have died for? Only himself. But because he rose from the dead, it now, Paul can declare that through Jesus, not in any other way, Chris talked about it this morning, there's only one way through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. That you and I can be forgiven of our sins. They'll say, well, what does that matter? Who cares? Well, sin is kind of ugly. Sin is kind of dark. 
Sin has consequences, and, and the, the consequences of sin is death. We talked about this Friday night. For, for us, for us as human beings, the consequences of sin is death. It's eternal death. It's eternal separation from God forever and ever and ever. So that's kind of a big deal, don't you think? Death and separation caused by sin. Now, if I was to ask you, and, I, and I'm, I won't put you on the spot, but are any of you in this room without sin? Ever? Never committed a sin in your life? And it got awfully quiet. Why is that? Because we know. Because I know my own heart. I know, I know my own self. We all, we all know that, that there's something rot, not right. There's, there's something rotten in dead mark. And it's within us. It's just this sin thing with us. It's just thing that we fall short. We're, we're just not matching up. It's sin. And so how do you deal with that? How do you get rid of that? You, you, you don't, but it can be forgiven. It can be cleansed. It can be washed. And there's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Jesus Christ, his death upon the cross, but his death upon the cross and his burial had no power without the resurrection from the dead. There's no power in it. There's no, there's no strength in it. Everyone who believes, he says there in verse 39, is justified. That means forgiven and cleansed and, and made right with God. He says, he says, from everything you could not be justified from, from by the law of Moses. And what is he talking about there? He's talking about the law of Moses being, if you just did enough good things, then you can be all right. I've, I've heard that philosophy before, and, and some... Uh, Actually, not some, but most, if not all, religions teach that, that you just do enough good stuff and you will, you'll be okay. You're going to get into heaven. And it's kind of like this scale, right? Well, if your good outweighs the bad, well, when? You know, just before you die? Or maybe at some point in your life? But, but the Bible teaches that, that, that one sin, only one. It doesn't matter. The, the scale doesn't matter because it's like this. But I, I don't know if there's any of you in this room that have only committed one sin. You could try if you want. Stand before God. Well, I, I just committed one sin. But any of you fit into that? I mean, you probably should leave now because you don't need to hear anything else I'm, I've got to say. Or maybe you should come up here and tell us about that one sin because we want to know what it was. Seriously, we're, we're sinners. It's just the sin nature that we have within us as human beings. The Bible declares it to be so. But how do you, what do you do with it? How do you get rid of it? Well, you come to Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Because you died on that cross for me. You were buried and you rose from the dead. You conquered sin and you conquered death. That's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
There's a guy named Josh McDowell, and he's an apologist, and what that means is that he, he studies things to give the answers for, for what we believe, the answers of our faith. And, and, and he, he's, he's written a lot of, a lot of excellent uh, books and, and that, but, but I want to point out a, a, just a few points before we get to, to wrap this up, is, is that there are so many evidences, and I'm only going to talk about a few here. But, but when you study it, when you look at it, it's, as Lee Strobel found out, it's just evidence upon evidence upon evidence and the, the facts that all come together that talk about the resurrection and the, that give us the proof of this resurrection. He says this, that, that the historical evidence just can't be discounted. It is the most remarkable fact of history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why are you talking about that? Because it's Easter. What's wrong with you? <laughs> the first thing that he talks about, or one of the things he talks about, is living witnesses, that there were people that were alive when these things were being written, and when they were going around speaking about the resurrection of Jesus, there were people that were alive that could either prove or disprove at that time. They could have confirmed or, or denied, and, and yet that did not happen. They could have proved that this is all just a myth. It's all not true. They're making this all up, but it did not happen. How about the, the New Testament itself? And, and this is a whole study. Each one of these are really studies in themselves. But the New Testament itself, which, which really is the primary, there are others outside of the New Testament, primary uh, you know, evidences, but the, the New Testament is the primary uh, evidence because of what's written there. Now, the most incredible thing is that, that the evidence for the New Testament being accurate is, is absolutely incredible. And the, the number of manuscripts, the number of documents that we have, they are better preserved and more numerous, I'm quoting here, than any other ancient writings. We have more proof for the New Testament and the writings that are there than uh, Plato. I didn't say Plato. Plato, Aristotle... And Homer, and you've heard some of these people, and you, and you talk about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we believe what was written about them. But some of them are like five manuscripts. With the New Testament, there are presently like 5,600 plus manuscripts or parts of manuscripts in, a dis, you know, in existence today for the New Testament. They, they, they far, far, far outweigh any other documents of ancient history. That's very, very strong. And, and, and more and more the discoveries that they keep finding uh, and the studies that they are doing now uh, more and more back up this stuff. That's why I, I have no problem uh, you know, with the New Testament and what's taught here. You can study this for yourself, and, and maybe you say, I don't believe any of that stuff. Well, study it for yourself. I challenge you. Go, go read about it. You, you know, you have, you go, go find a computer and, and do a study. Is the New Testament reliable? How do we know the New Testament is even true? And study it for yourself. You will be amazed. You will be blown away. 
Another factor, though, is the empty tomb. You know, was that tomb empty or not? The, the historical evidence is very, very strong that that tomb was empty. You know, you, you just have to think about all the chaos that it caused when, when they went there and there was, no, there was nobody in the tomb, all the chaos that happened. You know, there's a lot of weird theories, you know, well, they went to the wrong tomb. And that's why there was nobody in the tomb. Really? That's pretty hard to, well, it's pretty hard to believe, but, you know, it's pretty easy to fix. If you went to the wrong tomb, well, you, you go ask, well, what tomb was it again? What was the address of that? And then you go find the right tomb. It's not that hard, but the tomb was empty. How about the, the idea that said that, well, you know, the disciples, they came and they stole that body away out of there. Why? Why would they do that? They stole the body away so that they could create this, this giant myth, this, this giant, you know, uh, hit, this thing that we call Christianity. They, they went and did that so they could create that? That's kind of insane, I think. But then what about this, that Jesus actually appeared to people? He actually appeared to people. Now, if, if there was just one person that said, you know, I saw Jesus. Really? Well, what kind of proof is that? If one person, would that stand up in a courtroom? You know, they'd listen to you, but it really wouldn't stand up. It wouldn't have a whole lot of weight. One person says that. But it wasn't one person. It was person after person after person after person. And then, and then it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that there was over 500 witnesses who saw him alive. That's pretty strong. You say, well, well all those people, they were just having hallucinations. Some people have said this. They were just hallucinating. That's why. I don't know. There might have been a lot of drugs going around then like there are today. For that to be the case. But the psychology uh, people say that it's not, it's not really possible for, to, have, to have a, you know, a hallucination you know, uh, in this giant group all at the same time. It's not possible. It just doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. They saw Jesus. How about this idea that, that says that Jesus, well, he didn't really die. They crucified him, and he didn't really die. They took him down off the cross. They thought he was dead, but then they put him in the tomb. And because, you know, it's kind of cold in the tomb and stone, but, you know, after a while, he just kind of revived. They call it the swoon theory. He just swooned. You say that. Swoon. Like, it sounds as ridiculous as the word sounds. When you read the accounts of the crucifixion, and it's over and over, and it's not just in the New Testament, but, but outside of the New Testament as well, when you read about what they did to him, it was impossible for him to not be dead. So often, just the, just the, the beatings that he took and the, you know, the whippings in the back, 
was enough to put people into shock. He couldn't, you know, at some point he couldn't even carry the cross member for his cross. He was in such bad condition. And then to put him on the cross and, and put him up there, it, you know, there was just no way. But, but the scripture also tells us that the soldier pierced his side just to make sure. Because it was the Sabbath, they didn't want to leave the bodies up on the Sabbath, so they said, well, let's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and break the legs of these three that were crucified, because, because breaking the legs would make them die quicker. Because really what they were dying from is, is asphyxiation, or, or they couldn't breathe. Is that the right word? They couldn't breathe, and so they would push themselves up. And so you'd break their legs so they couldn't push themselves up any longer, and they would suffocate. They came to Jesus, and they said, wait a minute, he's already dead. And he said, but let's just make sure. So they took the spear, and they pierced it in his side, and blood and water gushed out. He was, in fact, dead. His heart was burst. He was, in fact, dead. But think about this for a second. If Jesus had survived, if he had swooned, can you imagine what he must have looked like? And this is going to be, you know, our Savior. We're going to prop him up and we're going to tell everybody that he rose from the dead. But he looks pretty bad. We're going to let him kind of recover a little bit before we put him out in front of people. But I think one of the strongest things in this, in this and, and you put all these things together, and there are many more things, though, is that the disciples' lives were changed. You remember after he was crucified, what did the disciples do? When he was up on the cross, most of them ran, they fled. They were crushed. They were saddened. They were in total bereavement. But when Jesus rose from the dead, their lives were completely turned around. You're, you know the story of Peter. He denied the Lord, what, three times. But once he saw Jesus risen from the dead and Jesus restored him, he, he would do anything. And that's what happened with these disciples. They would do anything for Jesus Christ. They went everywhere telling the message of this risen Jesus Christ. And guess what happened to all of them except one? They were martyred for their faith. They were martyred for what they taught. They were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ that they believed that he died, that he was risen from the dead, and they told people that, and people did not like it. I was thinking about that for today, you know, our message, what we have as believers, is that Jesus died and then he rose again from the dead. And, and, and you know, it, at the moment, we're not really being persecuted for that. At the moment. But, but will things change? I, I see them changing already. For the message that we have, that Jesus died for our sins. First of all, people don't want to think and hear about sin. But not only that, he didn't just stay in the tomb. He wasn't just a good moral teacher. He, he died and he, and, he, and he rose from the dead and he conquered death. And there's a place called heaven. And, and without Jesus, you can't go there. People don't want to hear that kind of thing. 
But that's the message that we have. And that's the message that those disciples gave their very lives for. Do you really believe? You really believe that that these disciples would give their lives for a myth? For something that wasn't true? They stole the body and hid it somewhere, but we're going to go out and tell everybody that he rose from the dead, and we're even going to give our very lives for this message. But it wasn't just those disciples. When you read about church history, you see it was, it was many, many, many other believers who have given their lives for the sake of the message of Jesus Christ throughout history. There's a little book called Fox's Books, Book of Martyrs, and, and it, it's like, how could, you, how could there be that many people who have given their lives for Jesus Christ? Would you do it for something that wasn't true? Would you give your life for something that didn't mean anything? So the evidence, and I could go on and on, but the evidence is, is, is just unmistakable. Unmistakable. It's overwhelming. And the more you look at it, the more you study it, and, and the more you think about this, I think it has to change us. I think it has to do something within our very hearts and lives. I'll close with this story about doubting Thomas. You know, Thomas was the guy, and we'll, we'll read about it in Acts chapter uh, 20. Uh, he, he wasn't there when Jesus came and, and showed himself to the disciples. You know the story, right? And he, and he wasn't there, and, and so... So he, he actually said this, unless I, you know, see him, unless I touch his, where the, you know, the hands, where the nails were, unless I feel that part in his side, I, I'm not going to believe unless I can see it, touch it. And, and, and Jesus, you know, I think he was very merciful, and, and Jesus came into the room again at a different time, and Thomas was there, and, and Thomas was completely blown away. I guess he got the evidence, right? He saw Jesus, and, and the evidence was there. And what happened? What did he do? Anybody know? He fell to his knees, and, and he worshipped, and, and he said those words, my Lord and my God. I think that's, that's a response for you and I, for every one of us. We, when, we, when we truly, truly come to the, to the evidence... Come to the, the truth of, of who Jesus is and what he actually did, what he said about himself, what people said about him and, and his life and his death and his resurrection. Ultimately, that's, what, that's the response that you and I need to, to come to where we, where we bow before him and we surrender and we say, my Lord and my God. Have you done that? Have you given your life to him? Why would you give your life to him, you might think? Well, I think the obvious answer is because he, give, he gave his life to us. And so he deserves us giving our lives to him. We're going to pray. And we're going we're to say thank you, Jesus, for all that you did. 
we're going we're gonna to pray, but, but I also want to give an opportunity because it's a special day. And maybe you need to come to that place where you say, my Lord and my God, it, you know, if, if this is all true, and maybe, maybe you still have questions, but, but I think, because I know personally he did this for me, I think if you give him an opportunity in your life, he will prove himself to you. I believe that, because he did. He did for me. I, my, my testimony is this, that, you know, I said, I said to God, if you really are who they say you are, then I'm going to give you a chance in my life. <laughs> you know, I look back now, I think, what an, you know, you, <laughs> you are giving God a chance? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous, right? But he was merciful to, to me as well, and he, and he proved himself to me, and, and he changed my life. He changed my life, and he can change yours too. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved the world so much that you sent your one and only Son, your only begotten Son, Jesus, into the world. That he might live a perfect, sinless life and, and that he would then willingly Though he knew the cost, he knew the difficulty, he would willingly, willingly give himself on the cross and die for the sins of all those who would give their lives and trust to him. But he didn't stay in that tomb. He was buried and on the third day, Father, your son rose from the dead. You raised him from the dead. We just read that. Paul said it. You raised Jesus Christ, your son, from the dead, never to die again. And that all we need to do is trust him. And so, Jesus, we come to you today and we say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm not afraid to admit it. And I believe in you today, or at least I want to. And I, I want to give you a chance in my life, in my heart. And I ask you to come into my heart and my life and forgive me. That, my, that I might have eternal life because of your life, your death, and the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, the kids sang about it today. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. And you're here today with us, and you want to help us. Many of us have problems and, and trials and troubles and and yet the resurrection is more miraculous proof that you can do all things. Nothing is impossible for you. And you can help us. And even as we come on this Easter Sunday, maybe we need to bring that trial, and we sang about earlier, cast our cares on you because you care for us. Maybe we need to as someone shared with me earlier, rededicate our lives to you today. 
here on Easter Sunday, 2019. Rededicate our lives. I, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to follow you. I want to, I want to rededicate my life to, to following after you. Maybe that's your prayer today. Just open your heart right now. Don't, don't wait. Don't go home. Don't go home without doing business with the creator of the universe, the God who loves you. Dear God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What more can we say? We surrender to you today because of all that you have done for us. Bless our time with families. Whatever we do today, Lord, bless us and, and lift us with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together, shall we?